Be on the screen behind me, James 3, 13 to 18, and then LT will get up and speak to us from this passage. And it says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom uh, from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of God. Oh, I don't really feel like a guest here anymore. Um, as I said this morning, I feel like, well, take it one of two ways. Um, part of the furniture. <laughs> or an uncle you never wanted. <laughs> but stuck with for all eternity. So... It's, yeah, take which analogy is most appropriate. It's a real privilege to be together um, and that God's present with us by his word. So I hope you've come to be encouraged, hear from God. So I'm going to pray that we'll be ready to do that. Uh, We'll not just be hearers, uh, but be listeners and not just listeners, but actually doers. So how about I pray for that? Father, thanks so much for being able to be here today. It's really good to be together. And when I say together, I mean together with each other and with you. Thanks for being present. Thank you that you breathed out and you created by your spirit. Thank you that you breathed out and you brought your word to be. So help us, Father, by your spirit, help hear you, listen, and do. For Jesus' sake, amen. As I've mentioned before with you guys, I love road cycling, and I say that as a delineation between road cyclists and other types of cyclists, maybe mountain bikers and BMXs, as we have here. Um, But I've been cycling for, I don't know, worked out a, a while, number of years, and what happens, as with lots of other sports that you do for a while, you accumulate things to do with that sport, especially when you've got a mate who has a bike shop, that doesn't exactly help. So you kind of accumulate um, what you might call spandex, but we call lycra. So I've got a big full drawer of that, sorry for that picture. Um, And then just other sort of bits and pieces of bikes, you know, pedals, handlebars, helmets, so on and so forth. But recently I haven't been cycling much. I've gone down from, in fact I had nearly a whole month where I wasn't on my bike. And I thought, oh no, I've become that guy or that person who owns lots of the sporting equipment of the sport you love, but you actually never use it, but still sort of walk along thinking that you're a cyclist. You know that feeling? You might have that in other aspects of your life, a hobby that you used to do and you've still got all the stuff. 
But it's interesting, isn't it? Because as we come to hear from God in the letter of James, essentially that's kind of what he's saying to these people. You've got this knowledge about God, but let's face it, even the devil has knowledge about God. But are you putting into practice, are you actually using it? In fact, he goes as far as saying, doesn't he, faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. Hence the name of your series. So we want to think about and continue to think about what God says is real faith. James has been calling us uh, to do things because that's what you do if you've got faith. But he's also told us that the key between knowing and doing is actually wisdom. In chapter 1, he's told us to pray for wisdom. As if somehow if you pray, you receive it because you would. And here, he talks about what wisdom is. Now, every guest preacher does this when they jump into a series and and says the passage they've they've got is the most important part of the letter, but I actually think this is the most important part of it. You're not going to believe me now, are you? Um, But I think verses 13 to 18 are kind of the crucial centre point of James's letter. And particularly, verse 13, I think it's really probably the summary of the whole letter. It says there, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And maybe having read the letter to this point, you can think, oh yeah, I could see that. And maybe as I keep talking today, you might see that that is a key verse for the letter. I was a bit distracted this morning because everyone kept looking at the screen and then I realised that the passage was on the screen because I knew I didn't have any slides. But... And so I'm not sure how you've come uh, this afternoon to church. I'm not sure if you're someone who's uh, sort of taken the steps towards Jesus and reached out to embrace him and and sensed and and you know he's embraced, and so you're really in relationship with him. Or I'm not sure if you're someone who's, you know, still taking steps towards Jesus. And hopefully it's it's going forward. And what I'm hoping this afternoon, that as we hear this part of God's word to us, it'll create another step for you that you'll be prepared to take towards Jesus. And actually, maybe even further than that, feel his embrace and embrace him. So let's get into it. So firstly, we want to think about what is wisdom. Well, here's my definition. You're going to say, well, this may have been worth coming to church for, I'm not sure. But wisdom is having Jesus at the centre of your life. Wisdom is having Jesus at the centre of your life. Now, there's a very broad, generic kind of statement or definition But I wonder, how do you define wisdom? How do you define wisdom? Okay, 30 seconds. If you're up for it, share your definition with the person next to you. If you have one, if you don't, just say good day. (laughs) Ready, set, go.
Okay, excellent. There was some talking, hopefully some talking about what wisdom is. So I want to kind of dig into my statement about what wisdom is and, and make it, a, you know, become a bit practical, a bit more practical and concrete. Um, here's another way of expressing it uh, more broadly, and that is wisdom is recognising reality and living in line with it. Recognising reality and living in line with it, although Graham's was probably better. Recognise reality and living in harmony with it. That's sweet, isn't it? Recognising reality and living in harmony with it. And of course, what's the greatest and ultimate reality? Is that Jesus is at the centre of all things. So then ultimate wisdom is having Jesus at the centre of all things. And of course, that means at the centre of your life. So that's the starting place, if you like, of wisdom. So as I said, if, if you're here today and you haven't made Jesus the centre of your life, that is your life, its decisions and activity, its whole makeup and your very being, you know, you haven't centred around Jesus yet, that's the first step to take. And James, if you like, is, is not really assuming it because he stated that along the way. But everything else he calls us to really is in line with that reality. It, it flows out of that powerful work God does in your life to make that possible. And then it means you're empowered to do things you wouldn't otherwise do and that is that God, the things God commands you to do. Like half of the letter here is made up of commands, which you couldn't do or won't be able to do unless you've got Jesus at the centre of your life. So we need to get that in place. So, yes, wisdom is having Jesus at the centre of your life. Now, in terms of recognising reality and living in line with it, let me give you a little bit of a story. The principal of the Bible college that I went to, whenever he preached on wisdom, he'd tell this story. He was a dad of four kids, and when they were growing up, he had this old-school Tarago, you know, the white one with a big door, and they went on a trip with the family to Bathurst and found themselves going around the uh, Bathurst racetrack, you know what I'm saying, in their Tarago. And at one point, David, the dad, stopped on the racetrack on the top of a Conrod Strait or whatever it's called. Is that what it's called? No one cares. Um, and, and he paused and he, and he just started revving the engine as if he was, you know, going to go really fast. And you can imagine the kids, go, Dad, go, Dad, and the boys, yeah. And David's thinking, okay, let's recognise reality here. Middle-aged man, wife, four kids, Tarago, uh, that's reality. So I'll live in line with reality and I'll drive Dad's speed, not race lap speed. Um, under 60 k's an hour around the track. There's, there's a moment of recognising reality and living in line with it. It takes a moment to pause, doesn't it? To get your bearings. To recognise there's a greater narrative going on. Uh, there's a bigger jigsaw puzzle. There's a bigger picture, as you've been just reminded. And that you're not in the centre, but... Actually, Jesus is. 
And actually, Jesus is the ultimate reality because he's God. And in fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is wisdom to us. Someone reminded me this morning that in the wisdom literature of the Bible, particularly Proverbs, wisdom's referred to as a person. We now know that person in Jesus. When I was growing up, my dad used to say to me, if I hadn't done something that I shouldn't have done, or should have done, or even if I hadn't kind of been asked to do it, he'd say, you know, you're lazy. But he'd say more than that, he'd actually say, you're lazy, laziness personified. As you think about it, Jesus isn't just wisdom, he's wisdom personified. He personifies it in his very being, in who he is and what he does, wisdom itself. So if you want to know what wisdom is, you look to Jesus. And what did he show wisdom was? Having God, his Father, at the centre of his life. Where his whole being, mindset, words, were informed, shaped, directed by God, his Father. I heard this quote this week. I've got a daughter called Pascal, but it wasn't from her. It was from that kind of super mathematician of, of history, Blaise Pascal. And it was something like this, that distraction is the consolation for our miseries. Distraction is the consolation for our miseries. And yet, it is the greatest of our miseries. Make sense? So I'm feeling a little bit anxious, stressed, sitting on the lounge, maybe lone, sort of, sort of a bit low in my mood, maybe a bit isolated as well, maybe even feeling sorry for myself. There's a lot of stuff going on there, isn't there? What do I grab? Actually, it's in my bag, but... It, I get it out of my pocket, don't I? It's my phone. Distraction. Bang, Facebook, scroll, scroll, scroll. My miseries, what were they? Are they any better from having looked at Facebook? Or are they worse? The people I'm not with that I'd like to be with. The people I'd like to be with but not with in places that I'd like to be but I'm not. Our distractions themselves can be our greatest miseries. That's not wise, is it? I mean, I'm a preacher guy. I'm supposed to kind of tell you about the, the evils of technology, aren't I? So there you go. I, I did it. <laughs> you know, I, I, when I was about 19, 20, I was doing triathlons and I was probably at the fittest I've ever been in my life. It was just... You know, you are that age. And I was dating my wife, Belinda, at the time. And so I thought it'd be a good idea, you know, to kind of get to know my future father-in-law, her dad, Ian. And he was a good squash player. And so I thought, oh, let's, let's have a game of squash. Kind of backing myself. I mean, he was twice my age. Anyway, we go and play squash. And let's just say, what's that, what's that phrase? Um, 
I don't, can't even remember it myself. He, he, he cleaned me up. Swept the floor with me. Thank, thank you. Swept the floor, the squash court with me. That was it. I mean, literally, I, I think he probably, you know, didn't move out of a space that big. And I was running over that squash court like, you know what they say, a chicken with its head cut off. Um, and then I, sort of about half an hour into it, like just, you know, about to die like a 60-year-old and he, he's hardly cracked a sweat. There's wisdom, isn't it? That's wisdom. Doesn't always come with age, but there's a picture of wisdom. Sunning, someone running around thinking they know best when they don't. There's someone who's thought about it and knows the game and there's, lives in light of what they know. So what is it exactly does this uh, wisdom look like? Because James is pushing to not just abstract constantly in his letter, but to concrete, isn't he? So let's think about it in terms of uh, two categories. Firstly, false wisdom, which is putting yourself at the centre, and then true wisdom. So firstly, false wisdom. Let's go to verses 14 to 15. Look what it says there. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Well, James, you know, why don't you tell it as it is? Well, he does, doesn't he? And you see, what he talks about is he talks about false wisdom. He goes straight to talking about attitude, which issues forth, of course, in behaviour. As he talks about false wisdom, what does he say? The first thing he says is two things, bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition. How do you know if you're an unwise person, you're someone whose life is marked by bitter jealousy or envy and selfish ambition? That's confronting, isn't it? Because who of us doesn't have moments where that's not true of us? where you see yourself is more important than others, that your hopes and your intentions and your will and your desires are more important than others, and that you're willing to put people down, to put yourself up, or push people out of the way so you can keep moving forward. You know, it does lead to, necessarily, a lack of peace or division, doesn't it? Factions whether in your interpersonal relationships or your relationships at work or even, even relationships at church. James is saying we're all green-eyed with envy. Or we can be. There's three characteristics he goes on to say in verse 15. It's earthly, unspiritual and demonic really ramps it up, doesn't he? It's obviously that it's not, it's, it's earthly because it's not spiritual. God's not involved, so it's of this earth or of this world, which means it's very narrow-minded. It's about the here and now. It, it's not recognising the reality of the spiritual world, 
where there's an eternity, past, an eternity, future, and the events of, of that eternity, not the least of which being meeting Jesus. It's just earthly, thinking about the consequences of here and now, not the consequences of eternity. And of course, it's unspiritual because God's not in the picture. But if it's not from heaven, it's not from above, where is it from? Well, James tells us very clearly it's from below. It's from hell itself, from Satan. It's demonic. And then he talks about the results, verse 16. And they're logical, aren't they? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Of course. What's false wisdom? As I've said, it's putting you in the centre, which means things are out of order. You're putting yourself in the centre where Jesus should be. You're putting yourself in the centre, ruler over your life, instead of having God, Jesus the King, ruler over your life. If If you're got an attitude of life that's disordered, of course your life will be disordered. And life is made up of relationships, so your relationships will be disordered. They'll be broken down. There'll be no peace. In fact, he goes on to say, if that's how you're living, because that's the settled attitude of your life, it'll end up displaying every evil practice. James does not pull any punches. He just lands them every time. James is saying that you lack wisdom when you show a sharp, antagonistic spirit of self-concern. And that leads to fraction and divides and showing wisdom from the devil himself. James, again, his strong words, aren't they? Sort of not a nice, polite person who, you know, beats around the bush. You know, shadow boxing, never quite landing a punch. No, he's, he's clear and direct. He's like the doctor or the surgeon you want. He knows the terrible diagnosis. And he could be nice, but that's not his job. His job is to tell you the truth and then offer the solution. And so James is like a good surgeon, telling you the truth and then offering you the solution. I've had a couple of people in my life who, it seemed that whenever I caught up with them, they were talking about people in their life where they'd had a breakdown in relationship with them And the other person always seemed to be the one who was wrong. And often catching up involved them listing the things of what they'd done wrong and reeling against them. I remember kind of it dawning upon me at one point after this happening for a number of years with my friend, thinking, hang on a sec, the common denominator is you. Hopefully that doesn't resonate with you. Hopefully you're not the common denominator surrounded by disorder of relationships. No doubt most of us, if not all of us, have one, at least one 
relationship they're working hard with. But by God's Spirit, we have Jesus at the centre. So let's think about true wisdom, which I've said is having Jesus at the centre of our lives. Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's interesting, isn't it? As he, as he talks about wisdom, he moves straight from wisdom to what it looks like. Classic James, isn't it? He's not into talk, sitting around the fireplace, kind of having an esoteric, abstract, theoretical conversation about what wisdom might be. He just goes, bang, this is what it is and this is what it'll look like. And he gives eight characteristics that make up the picture of wisdom and a person of wisdom. He starts with purity, which I don't take as mean, meaning perfect, someone who's perfect, but someone who is blameless before God. Now, I take the rest flow from that overarching characteristic. Now, as you look over that list, I wonder if there's any that you're not sure uh, what they mean. H- have a look, unless it's on the screen, but have a look. I'm going to get you to do something with them in a moment. So if you're not sure, this is the time to look. And if you're not sure about one, you can put your hand up and ask. Have a look. Is there any there that you're not sure what they mean? Is it possible to have the passage on the screen? Is that still there? Thanks. Any you're unsure of? Yes. Possibly, but I, or just good deeds, good works, doing good things. Yep, thanks. Any others? Yeah, I think quite often in life, um, you know, there's spheres of life, isn't there? Different spheres of your life. And I think in like some spheres, maybe one, you could be saying, look, in that sphere, and I think others would say it of me, I'm living with Jesus at the centre of my life and there's fruits to show for it. You might say, I'm, I'm really nailing it in that area if that's possible by God's strength. But there might be another sphere of your life, if not relationship, where you know that's just not the case, that you're a, you're a bit of a more of a work in progress than over this one. I wonder if you could think of that sphere of life or relationship right now. Probably doesn't take you long, doesn't take me long. And then scan over that list of characteristics. Praying, which one, Lord? That might jump out and actually be the one that actually directly applies to that particular sphere or relationship in your life. I want you to do that for for a moment. And this is going to be an exercise you'll start now and hopefully you'll continue through the week. So why don't you have a, a think and pray now about your life, 
and about the characteristics of wisdom. I'd encourage, I mean, you know, for me, uh, one, of the, one of the things that is compelling that the Bible's credible for me personally is when what it's saying about life matches with my experience of life. So I don't know about you, but as, it, as we talked about false wisdom, that resonates with me. Oh, yes, that's my lived experience. I can see that's true. And God's given me words to it, a diagnosis. And, and the same with this. I, I can see that this works in my life when I put it into practice. But anyway, if you've done that exercise and something popped up that intersected with a sphere or relationship in your life, I'd encourage you to let that linger. To help you, you might want to tell someone before you go about that, get them to pray for you and then maybe get them to check back in with you at some point through the week or month, whatever you like. You know, for me, um, for about nine or so years, I was the senior pastor of a church. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Um, I was a senior of no one but myself because I didn't have any staff most of the time. But because, you know, and most of the people in the church were older than me, but, you know. But, but then moving out of that role... And into the role I am now, I'm not what I think of in terms of sitting at the table. You know what I mean by that? You know, the table in any sort of sphere of life where the decisions are made and and you're the one responsible, so it gets the final call in consultation with others. I've realised that I've shifted from that table. I'm kind of down. In fact, funny this week, the people in my office moved me to a desk and I've been there for about three weeks and they say, no, no, you've got to move to another desk now. <laughs> it's just a little micro example of, of I need to submit. In my work life at the moment, I'm in the position of submitting. And I've got written here that that means being willing to give in to others. That's a negative way of putting it, but that's reality. Not a walkover, but willing to concede on things that don't eternally matter. And I thought, you know, that even, that's not quite far enough, is it? Because it's not about, I should concede, okay, whatever. Actually, no, I need to submit, which is actually to embrace the decision that's been made and make it go forward. Anyway, that's for me, I'm not sure what it is for you. But God in his goodness here tells us there's going to be some good results if you live this way. God's for you and he wants the good life for you. Do you believe that? God's for you and he wants the good life for you. Do you actually believe that? I'm not quite convinced. You're allowed to say yes. God is for you and wants the good life for you. Do you believe that? I know it's Sunday afternoon.
And so you would embrace and run to these things. And you know why? Because look at verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. That makes sense, doesn't it? False wisdom, disordered life, disordered attitude, disordered life. True wisdom, ordered life, Jesus at the centre, sort of ordered attitude. And then, of course, what does that look like? Order, peace. You sow in peace, living out these characteristics, thinking about the works, the ways and the words of Jesus that inform those characteristics, give you a picture of what it is in the nitty-gritty aspects of life. And of course, peace comes about. You know that. You've experienced that, no doubt. And a harvest of righteousness which I don't think it means actually you earn your salvation, earn a right standing with God, because we've already said that Jesus is at the centre, so what flows from that is right living. Your life looks like what's true for you on the inside. You're right with God. Just as every evil practice comes from false wisdom, so a harvest of righteousness comes from true wisdom and having Jesus at the centre. The privilege of not being at one church at the moment is, as you know, because I'm actually here, that's part of it, I get to go to lots of other churches, uh, weekends away like yours and other churches, and I've just met so many wise people who have Jesus at the centre of their life and they can testify to that and to the fruit of it in their life, the harvest of righteousness. One man I think of who was interviewed at a church weekend away, probably in his 70s, hadn't really been attending church all his life, started coming to church, and he's, you know, it's one of the things that struck him first. Not everyone who comes to church has got all this God stuff worked out. They have questions and doubts. And so he said, I could come with my questions and doubts. He was a man who was open about the disorder in his life, disorder in his relationships with a, a, a marriage that had broken down, difficulties in relationships with his kids, and how as he started coming to church, he was able to ask his questions, talk about his doubts, and actually get help. And so he talked about how he was trying to improve things in his relationship with his daughter and how he'd messed that up in the past. So as he was sending, he drafted a text message in response to something that she might have written. And before he would send it, he'd share it with his men's small group and say, guys, what do you think? Basically, he's saying, is this going to sow in peace or not? There's someone who's humble, isn't it? Open to correction. That's wisdom. Uh, two uh, mates of mine in the last month or so have been made redundant in their different workplaces. Uh, men who are married, men who have kids which means they're men who are carrying responsibility. And so when that happens, it's, it's a big thing, isn't it? To soon be jobless, carrying that responsibility, not just for yourself, but for others, for a family. And I was struck by their response to that. I shouldn't have been because I knew they had Jesus at the centre of their life, but wisdom shone forth from them as they spoke about their response to that happening to them, that experience. They said things like, God is in this. 
They said things like, I've got a peace about this. They said things like, oh, God will provide. And in the moment, talking to a Christian mate who used to be a pastor, that could be the right answer. And it could be just a trite, meaningless thing, but it wasn't as time went on. You could see in their life that was true for them. Why? Because false wisdom wasn't lived out. They didn't go demanding their rights. They didn't go around bagging their boss to the people at their workplaces as they finished up. Selfish ambition and vain conceit didn't come out because they did not have themselves at the centre of their lives. They entrusted themselves to their saviour, Jesus. And they just spilled out. I think we often take for granted the implications of us having Jesus at the centre of our life because we've been doing it for so long. So, for example, coming to church on a Sunday is because you have Jesus at the centre of your life. Let me affirm you in that. What you've done coming today shows you as someone, as a person of wisdom. Recognising reality that God's there in Jesus. And so I need to gather with his people. Because that's what it is to have Jesus at the centre of your life. Part of what it is. If you're someone who works and you turn up on time consistently, I know there's times when you struggle with that, especially in Sydney, traffic, and you don't duck out early every afternoon, you don't shortcut your work, or try and rob from your boss with your time or any other way, that's because <clears throat> you're wise. That reflects that you've got Jesus at the centre of your life. And so many more things I'm sure I could say about what's true for you. All week as I've been thinking about these words uh, from James, especially that verse, uh, verse 13 where he says, let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I've been thinking about Jesus and him being wisdom personified and how his words are wisdom. And so I want to finish with telling you some of the words he said. You can look them up later on if you like in Luke chapter 6. Listen to the wise one. He said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll tell you what they're like. He says, they're like a man who decided to build a house. He dug down deep to find a sure foundation on a rock and he built his house. Uh, it, and it rained and it rained and it rained and of course then a torrent of water came and hit that house and the house didn't shake but stood strong. As for everyone who listens to my words and doesn't put them into practice, they're like one 
who decides to build a house. And they just build it on the ground there. No foundation. Of course, the rain comes, the rain comes, the rain comes. And of course, with that comes the torrent of water and it hit that house. And it shook that house. And that house collapsed and was totally destroyed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are wisdom to us. Thank you that in Jesus we have wisdom personified. Help us to know as we have Jesus at the centre of our life, that is the start of living the good life. Thank you, Father, that in Jesus we have a picture of what that looks like as we look at his words, his works, his ways. Help us to embrace your son so that he's at the centre of our life. And may it be evident that we've embraced him by the fact that we show it in our good life. A life full of good deeds done in humility. Help us, Father, to know that you are good, that you are for us, and that you want the good life for us. For those of us who haven't fully known your embrace or embraced your son Jesus to be at the centre of our life and all he used to us especially at the cross Father give us the faith knowing the life that you have for us to take that step today